But John was so kind to let me uh, to let me lead today. I am a pastor. I am fully pastorized. Uh, I have a church that I sorry sorry if 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 you uh, if you talk to Mark afterwards, you will find out this is this is who I am. I'm not trying to just be funny. I'm um, I'm just a silly guy. But I love being here. I love being with you. And after I leave here, I go to a service that I lead. Uh, I get to do a little worship leading with some other people, and then I preach it. And uh, we started in January in the in the midst of the pandemic, and we're still going. And uh, so pray for us as we continue to do that every week. Uh, but I appreciate John taking a risk on me this Sunday. Um, Mark has been a dear friend to me, and uh, we, we met each other, I guess, in late December, January here, and uh, he is you're probably one of my closest friends right now, if not the closest friend. I appreciate you. And, uh, and, but Mark, as you know, is an incredible artist, um, and he is incredibly, one of the things I'll say about him, he's a lot of fun to be with off stage, but he is incredibly intense. <laughs> he, because he is, he, he is an artist and he's focused on, uh, anybody who's into the arts is a perfectionist if they're good at what they do. Because you want, you want to make everything as perfect as possible. And, and that is, is the way he is. And so in our relationship as friends, I am sort of the comic relief <laughs> to Mark. So we'll, he usually comes to my house one day during the week, and we start rehearsing on the stuff for Sunday morning. We were rehearsing, let's see, a few weeks ago. Uh, you were doing, you raise me up like, da, 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 da. Uh, he was doing that song, and I remember. And, but he was, he was so intense, and he was into it, and he was like, yeah, you know, that voice he's got. Now, I won't try to do that. But uh, I started playing, you raise my rent. When I can't buy my groceries, and I just, I, I mess with him like that all the time, and uh, he is so much fun to work with. <laughs> you raise my rent, yes. Um, my preaching is a little different, so uh, I will not try to be smooth or preacherly to you. I'm, I'm not Adrian Rogers, I can't do him, uh, though I respect that totally. But uh, the way I preach is this, I figure... I will try to set myself on fire so if nothing else, people will come and watch me burn. That's my approach to preaching. And you're going to please forgive me this morning because the message has more of me in it than I am really comfortable with. But the message this morning is basically my testimony over the last 10 years because God started doing something special in my life. And I figure I may not, I may, this may be my last chance at you. And uh, so I want to make it my best. The, and I started thinking, what is the thing, if I had one chance to talk to these folks, what is the one message I would want to give you? And that is the message today. So I, wanna, I just want to tell you a little story about me. A few years ago, I started feeling restless. I think that's the best word to put to it. I had been a worship leader for about 25 years, I guess a, a, a youth pastor before that. You know how that goes in church. But as I got older, I was a worship leader, and that was what I settled into for around 20, 25 years. But 
I never felt fulfilled in what I was doing. I knew I was always called to ministry. I went to this, went to Sanford University on a piano scholarship, but switched halfway to the school of religion because I knew God wasn't calling me to play Rachmaninoff. God was calling me into the gospel ministry. And I didn't know how. And they said, well, you've got music talent, so you ought to go with that. So I went with that and I, I did music for years and years. But a few years ago, I felt this restlessness. And in fact, I felt like I'd hit a dead end in my life. I got to the place a few years ago where I felt like my life, for the most part, was pretty much done. I didn't think I was going to die, but I thought that I had accomplished everything I was really going to accomplish. Um, The church I was at, you know, I could do the job and worship leading was something I could really do without thinking about it a whole lot. And, and honestly, I was bored. I had raised uh, three kids at that point and they were in their teenage years. And you know what that's like when you've got teenagers, they really kind of don't need you that much anymore, or at least they don't think they need you anymore. And uh, until they need money and then they come back very quickly. But I was convinced at this point in my life, that my best years were behind me. That I would never again really be productive, that I would never again do anything of significance for the Lord. And uh, so when did I realize that my life had come to an end? When I was about to turn 50 years old. Yes, you're thinking, I know what you're thinking, boy, if I were only 50 again, what I wouldn't give to be 50, and me too, I'm thinking, if I only could go back to 50, that seems so young. But I had convinced myself at turning 50 that I was pretty much done. But that is also when God started speaking to me, and he started He started putting some new dreams inside of my heart. And he started working in me. And so I started making some big changes in my life as approaching 50. I went back to school for one thing. I had uh, I'd gotten my bachelor's degree and I'd, uh, in, in religion, and I'd gone to seminary for a little while, but then I, I, you know, I was young and I got tired of that, so I went and got a job in a church, and I'd been working in church for the last 25 years. Well, I went back to school online. I went to Luther Rice Seminary, which is where Pastor Charles Stanley got his degree. I went there, and they would do online stuff, and, and I worked and worked and worked, and over several years... I got my Master of Divinity degree. Uh, I wasn't totally sure why I was doing it, but I felt that God was saying, this is what I want you to do. So I got my Master's, and I kept even where I am right now. I'm I'm, I'm in doctoral classes, but um, I did something else. About the time I was going to turn 50, I quit my job. That was a scary one because my job paid pretty well, even you know, and it was in here in Naples, Florida, and uh, it takes a little bit of money to live in Naples, Florida. You may not have realized that, but it does. And uh, but I prayed about it, and I kept feeling that God was telling me to do that. And I talked to my wife because I figured this is going to affect you, so you need to be in on it. She confirmed. She said, "I think God is telling us to do this." 
So um, I quit my job, cold turkey, and I started a church because God was telling me to start reaching out. And in church work, all I was doing was really reaching people that were already Christians. And he said, well, what about all the people in Naples that really don't know Jesus yet? What are you doing to reach them? And so I I started a new church. And then from that, I started thinking, okay, well, how do I reach these people who are not in my church? How do I reach people who have never been to church before, who don't have any Christian background? You know, it's in churches, we get used to, you know, baptizing our children and we baptize kids, but we rarely reach out past the walls of our church. And that was the Great Commission. That's what we were all called to do. Not just win our kids to Christ, which is wonderful, but to win people who've never been in church before. And God convicted me that I wasn't doing that. So I started thinking, well, how can I reach unchurched people? What do I have that is a marketable skill that would put me together with them? And then this idea came up. This was the 2013 production of Les Miserables. And that is me in a very bad wig <laughs> as Jean Valjean. Uh, I heard that there is someone else in the room that might have some familiarity with this role. Um, is that you, Mark? That would be me. Oh, well, that not that sweet? Mark, Mark has done the role, too. Um, let's see. Now, now I did that role at the Sugden Theater down here in Naples Players. Where did, where did you do uh, Jean Valjean? Uh, let's see. I started out in, in uh, Boston, Washington, Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, New York, London, Los Angeles, Naples. So you had to move around a lot is basically what you're saying. Okay, well, we understand that. Now, I did, when I did the show, I did 25 awe-inspiring, glorious performances of this. Mark, how many, how many performances did you happen to do? Uh, okay. No, don't encourage him, don't encourage him, don't encourage him. Um, a, a few more than I did. Just a few. And, uh, but, but this was a real step out for me. And I tried out for this, and I really didn't expect to get the part. And lo and behold, uh, I got it. And I started working with these theater folks, and I started trying to be a witness to these theater folks. And what ended up happening is some of them started coming to my church, and then I eventually got to baptize some of my friends in the ocean out here who came to faith in Christ. So, yeah, and, and that's how God works. But that was, that was after listening to what God was saying to me, after stepping out, he brought this new thing into my life after 50. And at the same time I was doing this, I started trying to live a kind of, all I can 
describe it as is a radical Christianity where I thought, what if I actually did the things that the Bible says we're supposed to do? What? Because we all say we care about people. We all say we care about the lost. We all say we care about poor people and we care about people who are disadvantaged and everything. And, but what if we actually did something about it? So my wife and I started praying. And so we started, um, we started fostering kids in our home. At one point, we had about, including our own children, we had about seven kids in our home all over the place, and we fostered. And then later, uh, God led two little baby girls into our lives, and we took the next step. And in our 50s, we decided to adopt two little girls into our family. Um, In our church, we started emphasizing this kind of guerrilla evangelism where we actually go out and we try to meet needs in the community. We, I said, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. And that's what we emphasized with people in our church. And other people started fostering too. You see, the problem we have in Naples is this. In Naples, when we see a need, we write a check. Because checks don't hurt. Checks don't tip our lifestyle upside down. Checks don't wake us up in the middle of the night. Checks are safe and sanitary. And we hand them off. And then it's at a big banquet and a bunch of people make a big deal about it. And it's wonderful. And don't get me wrong, if you've written a check, I'm in, I'm in favor of checks, personally, and uh, I like checks. But, as a Christian, my check is not enough. I need to give my life for what God is calling me to do, and so do you. And this is what we tried to start doing in the second half of our life. Now, we would have done none of this if we had listened to the voice that was in my head. And the voice in my head was telling me this. It was saying, Dave, you're too old for this. You're too old to play Jean Valjean. You're too old to start hitting those high notes. You're too old to be carrying a guy around the stage on your back, right, Mark? You know what that feels like. That was fun. You're too old for that. You're also too old to start raising small children. You're way too old to start a church because that's what young guys are supposed to do. By the way, I bet you've heard that same voice as well. As you've retired to Naples, many of you, and there's nothing wrong with retiring. There's nothing wrong at all with quitting a job that you've worked at for years. But you do not retire from serving the Lord. Amen? Amen. You know, it's funny, the way they talk about getting older. Have you noticed they say, well, you become 21 years old, then you turn 30 like bad milk, I guess. Then you're, then you're pushing 40, then you reach 50, then you make it to 60, and then you finally hit 70 like a brick wall. That's the way we think about it. But contrary to what you may think, those voices are not the voices of reason in your head. And they are certainly not the voice of God. They are a voice from the pits of hell 
trying to keep you from the destiny God has for you here in Naples, Florida, right now, at this point in your life, most of you, most likely over 50, like I am too. So today, I want you to hear God's voice to drown out all those other voices speaking to you straight from the Bible. And he's saying this to you today, and I want you to repeat it to me right now. He's saying, I'm not done yet. Would you say that with me? Say, I'm not done yet. Why don't you say it a little bit louder for me? I'm not done yet. You see, I'm getting old and my hearing's not so good. That's what I want you to hear today. And I want you to hear it from a person in the Bible who's one of my favorite characters from the Old Testament. And he's an old white-haired warrior by the name of Caleb. And this passage we're about to read is the very words of Caleb from the Old Testament. Now, if you, if you don't remember Caleb, it's okay. But remember, when the children of Israel left Egypt, and they went through the Red Sea and everything, and they started scouting out the promised land, the land of Canaan. Well, they sent 12 scouts in. As you know, 10 came back saying, oh, this is just too much. There's no way we're ready to attack the land of Canaan and to overpower it. We can't do it. They're just too big. They're too this. They're too that. Two men, though, came back and said, let's do this. We can take it. Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was the other one. Caleb had faith. So because of the 10 saying no, the children of Israel wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. But the only two people to make it out of that wilderness and into the land of Canaan, not even Moses, but Joshua and Caleb, they made it in. So now at this point in the story, they're about to take the land of Canaan. And they're asking, okay, all you different tribes, which part of the land do you want? Well, that doesn't sound like a big deal, except for the fact that there were some pieces of land and some territories that were predominantly flat land. Those areas were pretty easy to take. You could see your enemy coming from miles away because the promised land was a land of milk and honey, but it was also initially a land of conflict. They had to fight their way into the land of Canaan. So they were looking at the prospects. And the flat land would be easier because if you've got high ground, your enemy is higher up than you. They've got a, a strategic advantage militarily. So a lot of people were saying, I want, I want this area over here. This looks easy. This looks like good farming land over here. This looks like this would be easy for us to capture. But this is what Caleb, 85 years of age, said about choosing his piece of land. He said, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, that's the years wandering in the wilderness. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet, I am as strong this day as the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this valley. Give me this flat land. No. 
give me this mountain. This mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. All those things, those other ten spies said, made it so they couldn't conquer the land. That's what Caleb is asking for. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So instead of asking for the easy road, Caleb asked for the most challenging territory as his inheritance. Aren't you thankful Caleb didn't move to Naples when he was 65? Because if we're not careful, a lot of the Caleb's around us end up only playing golf. And there's nothing wrong with playing golf. I'm sure John has been doing a lot of that while he's been vacationing. But John, in his retirement, hasn't just been playing golf, has he? No, he's been starting a church. He's been taking new mountains for God. God did not lead you here just to play golf. He didn't lead you to Naples after all these years just to look for where the best buffet is in town. The problem with Naples is this. In Naples, I see captains of industry, innovators, people who have been entrepreneurs most of their lives, people who have raised families, women with great wisdom and knowledge, and they come here They play shuffleboard, play some bridge, a little bit of golf, find a nice show, the buffet again. That is not God's plan for anybody's life from this point on. God is calling you to something more. I can guarantee you that. It's okay to retire from a job or from a career, but you never get to retire from God's purpose for your life. Uh, What about this guy? He was running a gas station that also sold fried chicken as a sideline. Finally, at age 62, he decided to franchise his restaurant. When he finally sold his interest for $2 million, Colonel Sanders was in his 70s. She started off as a school teacher, but felt unfulfilled. She struggled during the Great Depression and tried her hand at writing just as another sideline to make some extra money. Her first book was published when she was 65. The book was Little House on the Prairie, and her name was Laura Ingalls Wilder. He spent most of his career managing the Lyceum Theater in London. Everything changed, though, when in his 50s, Bram Stoker wrote a little book called Dracula. And he was about 54 when he first ran for governor. Up until then, he was considered a second-rate actor and had been relegated to B-movies like Bedtime for Bonzo. But then in his 70s, Ronald Reagan became the 40th president of the United States. See, like these people, I feel that my most significant accomplishments, while not as great as theirs, the best things I've done have been in the second 50 years of my life. I feel that deeply. And I have Caleb. 
to thank for it. There's three things I think Caleb would say to you today if he were here this morning. Number one thing that he would say is this. You must believe God still has a destiny for you. You must believe that. Where others saw destruction, Caleb saw his destiny. You know, Winston Churchill said this. He said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, but the optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. But Satan is going to focus you on the obstacles right now. He's going to focus you on how much time you might have wasted. He's going to focus you on how old you are. He'll say, it's time to move on and make way for the next generation. You see, I've heard that from pastors. I've actually read articles where they told older pastors, you know, it's time for you to retire, get out of the way, so the young guys can take over those churches. Because, you know, they've got the energy to do it, and your day is done. So now that I finally sort of know what I'm doing, you want me to quit? Now that I'm, I'm... kind of figuring things out. I don't know. Is that like you? Do you feel like maybe at this point of your life, you're sort of getting an idea of the lay of the land around you? That's the way I feel. So now we're supposed to get out of the way. I'm just starting to get this thing figured out. See, a lot of those folks are just telling us to move aside. But I've learned this. I've learned you seriously do not want to make old people mad. You see, for old people, life imprisonment is not that much of a deterrent. So you don't want to make us old folks angry. We know how to hurt you. But folks, as long as you are still breathing, God has a plan for your life. I hope you believe that. I'm not just telling that to you. That is not just preacher talk. That is the truth. You used to have a job, true, but now you have a calling. In fact, all those years, that job you were doing, it was probably to prepare you for what God wants you to do for him right now. You used to have to do what someone else wanted you to do. Well, if you're married, you still do. But uh, now, you get to do what God wants you to do. Mm. However, by the way, this does not mean that you can keep doing things the way you did 30 years ago. No. Uh, That's one of the things I figured out. I, I went back to school because I thought even though I felt like I knew things about the Bible, uh, except for like Joshua and Jacob. I I didn't know that evidently. But I did know a lot about the Bible. But I thought, if somebody's going to trust me to be their pastor, I sort of need to have this degree that says somebody signed off on me. So I went back to school and got that degree to help out with that. You can't do things the same old way you always did. You have to be adapting. You have to be learning new things all along, which is exciting. You can't just do it the same old way. You see, you need to be an innovator 
but you've got the wisdom to know how to innovate, to know how to adapt, to know how to change. You've got the experience to know how to do that. But if you become irrelevant today, that's your fault. You don't have to. You can stay relevant. You can stay up to date. You can stay knowledgeable. Only you can hinder God's future for you. So that's the first thing. You've got to believe that God still has a destiny for you. And Caleb did. The second thing is you must face your fear of failure head on. You see, we're all afraid. We don't have what it takes anymore, aren't we? I'm afraid of that. Every time I get up to speak, every time I get up to lead my church, I kind of wonder, are they thinking I'm too old for this? I wonder that in the back of my mind. I wonder whether I'm up to the challenge anymore. But here are the facts, folks. You right now have more knowledge and true wisdom now than anybody starting off fresh. You've got all those years of experience for a reason. You say, well, Dave, I just don't know that I got the energy to do some of that stuff you're talking about. I just don't know that I've got the energy. Folks, you don't need the energy. You know how to work smart. You know, at this time in your life, how to preserve your energy for the things that really need it. You don't spin your wheels like a young person might and wear yourself out on unimportant things. No, you know how to pace yourself and preserve your strength for when it's needed. See, the only thing that can shut down your destiny right now is not COVID-19, is not your age, is not any of those things. The only thing that can shut down your destiny is fear, is fear of failure. You are the only one who can sabotage what God wants to do in your life. Not your health, not your spouse, not anything just you and your fear. You see, we often think when we talk about the promised land, we think about those old songs about going to the promised land and that it was like this easy thing. The promised land was a place of conflict. The minute they went in, they had the battle of Jericho. They had to start fighting the moment they stepped foot almost into the land that God had promised them. But Caleb at 85 was not ready to stop fighting. In fact, they needed his experience, his knowledge, his, his ability at battle. This 85-year-old, they needed him to take one of the most strategic and difficult areas that they had to conquer. Caleb was ready for a, a fight. You need to ask yourself, am I ready for one more good fight? See, you've got to have the courage to keep pushing, keep believing, in spite of what your body tells you, in spite of what your mind tells you, in spite of what other people are going to tell you. When we, when we adopted those little girls, people looked at me like I was crazy. Adopted two little girls in our 50s. I mean, I'm going to be going to the graduation ceremony with a walker, probably, you know. I'll be an old guy. But people will tell you, you're too old. But you've got to listen to that one voice that is telling you, I'm not done with you yet. In fact, you need to keep saying to yourself those words, I'm 
not done yet. Can you say that with me one more time? Say, I'm not done yet. (laughs) Now, this once more with feeling, as we say in the theater, say, I'm not done yet. (laughs) The third thing is you must determine to truly make a difference. God did not give you a lifetime of experience and skills just so you could sit here on your blessed assurance. Mm -mm. This is your time to change the world for God. I stood in a courtroom earlier this week with a family from our church. The family was about the age of my wife and I, and they were adopting another child. They had already adopted three children. They were a multiracial. My, my friends were white folks, but they had adopted multiracial kids. And now they were adopting another child, but this was not a little child. They were in the courtroom this week, in courtroom 3B of Collier County Courthouse, to adopt a 16-year-old Haitian young man who would not have had parents. Both of his parents had died. He would not have had anyone to hold on to as he entered adulthood. But they have brought him into their home. He's part of our church now. And in fact, two weeks ago at youth camp, he accepted Christ as his personal savior. You see, folks, that's how it works. Writing a check is great, but writing a check does not do that. It takes giving of your time, giving of your resources, giving of your home, giving of yourself. God blesses when we, not when we give, but when we make a sacrifice. You see, a sacrifice is different because a sacrifice hurts a little bit. And while many of us give, the hurting part is something that we've tended to miss. In fact, the church has tended to miss that a whole lot. Church, unfortunately, throughout the past few years has started becoming a lot about us, which I think is why right now churches are dying. COVID is not killing churches. The church was dying before COVID ever hit, by the way. Churches we're starting to lose numbers and lose new converts all really the last 30 years. We've seen a steady decline in church attendance. And during that time, we've all complained about the style of music. We've complained about the color of the carpet. And we built and built and built bigger and bigger and more wonderful churches for us. I took, a, I took a break from Naples for about three years. I was the senior pastor of a church in St. Louis, Missouri. And that church, in its heyday, had built 150,000 square feet of facility. They had built a Christian school. Of course, all that was for the community. They built in that Christian school a huge basketball gymnasium, which was beautiful. But they also built, and I got to try to figure out how to use it when I got there, they built a um, skating rink with all the skates that you would ever need, just like if you went to the skating rink in town, they had that there in the building. They also had a four-lane bowling alley. All of this, of course, for the community. Except, they started forgetting to invite the community. And it really became about them and their kids having a nice school to go to, and their kids having all these nice things, and them 
And so by the time I got there, membership had diminished and diminished and diminished. Now, after a couple of years, we got it growing again because what we started, we started reaching out again to the community. That's the way it works. But churches have got to start being less about us and more about other people. Most churches' influence never reaches past their own front doors. We're just like Vegas. What happens here stays here. Our prayer is no longer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Our prayer is, now I lay me down to sleep. As a result, only 30% of Americans right now say that they attend a house of worship. That's the ones that say they do. Who knows how many actually do. And 20 to 40% of regular pre-pandemic church attendees have not come back and quite honestly have no plans to come back. So that means that if our churches are going to grow, guess what we have to do? We have to go back to doing what we were supposed to be doing all along. The Great Commission, reaching out to people, telling people about Jesus, helping people, proving the love of Jesus with how we live our lives. We've got to do it. This is our time to take the promised land. And we need innovative thinking. We need new ways to reach young adults. We need people who are entrepreneurs. In other words, people just like you who've already done it and who are ready to do it again. This is why you can't sit back. You see, Caleb's age and experience like yours was actually his advantage. Mature people know what battles to fight and the ones not to. Mature people know how to pace themselves and not burn out too quickly. Mature people have lived long enough to know what matters and what doesn't. It's time to start dreaming again. To quote one of my little girl's favorite movies, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, your life is an occasion, so rise to it. Speaking of my little girls, these are they. On, the, uh, on your left over here, this is Ellie, the oldest. She's seven. Um, this is Gracie right next to her. She's six. Uh, they're multiracial, and as we say in our family, Ellie is, is Hispanic, and Gracie is satanic. <laughs> Ellie is a nice, calm little girl. She's into the, it takes ballet, she's, uh, and Ellie, uh, and Gracie is just all over the place. She's just nonstop energy, bouncing off the walls, and they are wonderful. But, speaking of them... This is what I would have missed out on. This. I could, have, I could have lived without Les Mis. I could have lived without some of that stuff. But I would have missed out on this if I had listened to those voices in my head saying that I was done. Come to think of it, almost everything I love right now happened after I turned 50. I can't imagine where I'd be if I hadn't followed God's call to take the high ground in my 50s. You see, because Jesus' specialty is taking things that other folks think are dead and done with 
and breathing new life in them and resurrecting them. So, what are you going to do? You may not know yet. You need to think about it. You're going to do respite care maybe for foster parents who are getting tired and just all you need is a bedroom in your home, give a weekend here and there. You can do that. You want to volunteer at St. Matthew's house? They need folks. By the way, I work with hospice care. You know what we need? We need folks to go one day a week and just sit and talk with a person who's in hospice care because they can't get out of the house anymore and they have nobody to talk with. It doesn't take tremendous skills. It just takes a willingness to reach out. So what mountain is God asking for you to take for him today? Whatever you do, don't miss this last great adventure of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person who is here right now. I thank you for the lives that they have lived. But most of all, I thank you for what they are about to do the new adventures they are about to take with God. Father, don't let us stay comfortable. Help us get out of our comfort zone and do great things for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.